So I meet with these folks afterwards. And profitability is a real simple formula. You have to price in a way that exceeds your expenses, your, your expenses, so there's money left over. I mean, that's it. So margin, spend less than you earn. Like it, it's literally that clear. It's interesting to me, but I also get it because I did the same thing, is how many games people say they say, yeah, but and the second here is yeah, but I'm like, yeah, but what? Well, what if I borrow money from the bank, rent by my credit card? What if I sell more? There's all these kind of uh, simple stabs they're trying to apply that they say that will heal the wound of profitability. No. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on seven and eight figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Mike. Mike, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, it's a joy to be here, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So give us the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Sure, sure. So the quick downloads, I'm an author of small business books. That's what I do, and that's what I do for a business. Um, to give us a little bit of context around that, I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. Um, I've had some great successes. I've had magnificent failures. And it's through that journey that I discovered a lot of what I thought defined entrepreneurial success doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of rules that we're told are rules, but they're not. And so over the last 15 years, I've devoted, and I think I will for the rest of my life, devoted myself to figuring out what are we being told about entrepreneurship that's actually not working? Where does the data challenge established beliefs? And then I deconstruct it. I test out alternative ideas, deployment in my own businesses that I own or have influence over, and then uh, rolled out in a book. Uh, today, I've it. written you know, 10, 10 titles now, or 10 books, and uh, eight titles. That means there's two that are revised and expanded. And hopefully, before I'm done on this planet, hopefully 25. That's my goal. I mean, so let's... So I'm going to take you there, and I'm glad you didn't completely go there, because uh, <laughs> I want to take you back to uh, what got you into the books as a business idea. How did that kind of flourish and become the thing that held your passion? So one thing I, I keep off my resume is uh, the collapse that I had. So I, I built and sold some businesses. I had a private equity exit. I had a Fortune 500 exit. exit. I thought I was king of the world. And my arrogance was matched to that. I started a third business as an angel investor and I, I sucked at it. And uh, I just put good money after bad. And uh, all these businesses that I was starting up and investing in were collapsing. But my ego was like, well, I'm here, so we'll be successful. And, and no, that was not the case. I lost everything. Uh, lost everything, except for my family. And um, had to start anew. We literally didn't have a house at that point. We couldn't. So we had neighbors in our community that heard what was going on. And they offered their home to us because they were traveling for uh, a year plus on a business sabbatical. They saved us. And um, it was then, and it wasn't like I had this like epiphany, like, oh, I'm going to write books and fix the world. Uh, I was going through a deep depression. And, but I started journaling. And that was one of the tools that a friend had given me. I, I never went to a therapist. Now I do. I should have back then. But I was documenting um, everything I was experiencing, the good and the bad, because a friend advised me to do it. But basically maintain a diary journal, you know, the guy's term journal. It's a diary. And writing all down. 
And I found that it started giving me relief, sometimes just for a few minutes, sometimes for an extended period that, okay, I, I documented, I got the worry out. Now I can focus again. And I also noticed I was writing down like, why, how come I'm not profitable? You know, they, they say profit's the bottom line, yet I'm never getting that. How come I'm working all the time and not experiencing other elements of life? And I started writing down my solutions for them. Uh, I, I didn't know I was starting to write a book or many books, but I was. And um, that's when I made the commitment to write my first book and then my second and, and the rest has been, you know, quote unquote history. I love it. And, and the, the overnight success of <laughs> a couple yeah, of bumps along the way, <laughs> just a couple. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I run into people that have heard of my most popular books called Profit First. And I run into people and are like, oh, yeah, I love Profit First. And how does it feel like you, you write a book and all of a sudden you're crushing it? I'm like, oh, that was like, my, I think my sixth book. Um, so <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah. yeah all, all of a sudden, <laughs> I, it took me about 10 years to get the all of a sudden or seven years. I don't know what it was. And it wasn't all of a sudden. When Profit First came out, the first pass, it was not popular. I had to push it and get it out there. But then at a certain point, um, certain readers started to say, this is transformative. This is serving me. They became the marketing engine and then got revised and expanded. I improved on the book, made it more accessible. And that's when it really started moving. So probably first, even though it's been in circulation for 10 years, it's the last three or maybe four years that's become you know, much more popular. Nice. So I will totally get into the successes of business, but I, I don't want to lose the lessons learned because they are yeah. very valuable lessons. And, uh, you know, the less other people have to invest in those, the better. So when, yeah. when you look back at kind of the downfall of the business, was it because you didn't have profit margins in your products and services? Was it because of the mindset? How, what would you say was kind of the reason that, like what was being overlooked in your business that caused yeah, the downfall? Yeah, I fell into a, a classic cash flow trap, but didn't know it. And I had done it in my first two businesses. And I miraculously was able to escape. So what the cash flow trap is, is the belief that we need to sell our way out of any circumstance. Just sell more, sell more. If I simply grow, everything's solved. The reality is when you sell more and you collect that money, for a very short period, there's a sense of resolution. It feels good because I have all these expenses are coming. They're doing 30 days. I got the cash today. I got 30 days of cash. And then those expenses catch up and they gobble that cash. But if I sell even more as the expenses continue to increase, I have that 30-day window. So I'm always playing that 30-day window. Some of the manifestations for a business owner is um, sometimes they're short on payroll. Uh, other times they don't pay themselves. They're the last one to get paid. Those are all symptoms or indicators of this greater disease of a, a pure misunderstanding of cash management. Well, I sold my first company in a private equity deal. So I never had to catch up to the cash. They took the business from me and I made enough money to pay off the personal debts I had. And I was victorious. My second business was acquired by a Fortune 500 called Robert Half International. And it was a, it was a big transaction, big to me. And uh, it was a lot of money. All of a sudden, I lumped some of money and said, oh, all I have to do is pump and dump, build a business really fast, and someone buys it. I get this. That's always happened. It never happens. It always <laughs> happens. So my third business, it was all mentality. My whole mentality was you know, gas on the, the accelerator, no brake pedal, just go. And uh, no one wanted to buy it. I was spending money so fast. None of these businesses uh, became cash flow positive even. It took me less than two years. I wiped out every penny I had. 
and now I can talk about it kind of matter of factly. Back then, it was devastating, sobbing. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people are in this position because they don't understand one how to look at their their statements and figure out whether or not their products are profitable. Like yeah. let let's start with that one as a first, and then we'll talk about cash flow as a, an entity unto itself. Because I again the whole expense is getting ahead of your thing. So was it kind of overall, if you had to cap out, was it merely that um, that each kind of thing that you built, um, that you had to have a certain percentage of them in order for them to be profitable because of the mainstay costs? Or was it because kind of the the numbers just <laughs> weren't there? Like, I don't know oh, what you're yeah. selling, so I'm... Yeah. So, so what I was selling uh, with my third company was as an angel investor, I was starting, uh, I started a jewelry business. I started uh, a water bottle business, a fitness mm -hmm. uh, business, a uh, uh, kind of like a, the, the predecessor to Blue Apron. And what I was doing was I was building the infrastructure without any sales in place to support that infrastructure. So I immediately had a burn that I couldn't sustain. Right. I was putting all of my money every month. I couldn't believe the size of the checks I was writing to pay payroll and to pay for the rent and all this stuff. And no one was buying. Mm -hmm. It was such a cocky move because my prior business is at least I waited till I got customers before <laughs> I started building infrastructure. This one has flipped the model. But at the end of the day, even if I did have customers, I wonder if it was, would have ever achieved profitability because the other component is every transaction needs to be profitable. I was saying in my book that profit is not an event, it's a habit, meaning Every day when there's a transaction, a percentage must be allocated toward profit. And then the remainder is used for expenses. I didn't have that mentality yet either. So it was it was a one-two punch knockout. Uh, way too much infrastructure for something that didn't wasn't a proven concept. I didn't give time to prove it out. And even if I did prove a sustainable concept, I don't think I was positioning in a way to be sustainably profitable. Awesome. Well, and I say awesome because I think a lot of people are in that position. Yeah. And when they can look at it and go, okay, I see that. <laughs> How do I get out now before it becomes too late and I have to reconcile? And I think a lot of it can be when you have to look at your profitability and you have to figure out how to increase your your prices. Um, and that may mean across the board, just, hey, we are, <laughs> thanks everybody. And now we're charging this much or from now on, when anybody buys products, it's going to be this much. Um, and sometimes yeah. people will actually do that and go, oh, but if you buy them now, you get the 75% or 25% off, yeah. you know, and you can't outsell a dollar loss on every That's product correct. sold. <laughs> you don't do I, that. <laughs> I do a lot of speaking. We're talking off air about this and uh, I travel literally the world speaking. Yeah. I'm, I'm heading to Mexico next. And nice. um, my most popular speech by a long shot is profit first. Just being on that. And I'd say 90% of my speeches is specifically on profit first. So I meet with these folks afterwards. And profitability is a real simple formula. You have to price in a way that exceeds your expenses, your, your expenses, so there's money left over. I mean, that's it. So margin, spend less than you earn. Like it, it's literally that clear. It's interesting to me, but I also get it because I did the same thing, is how many games people say they say, yeah, but and the second I hear is yeah, but I'm like, yeah, but what? Well, what if I borrow money from the bank, wrap up my credit cards? What if I sell more? There's all these kind of uh, simple stabs they're trying to apply that they say that will heal the wound of profitability. No, 
It never well, will. <laughs> so you have to have margin where profit can be extracted. That's right. usually a pricing consideration. Sometimes it's an efficiency issue, but there needs to be the margin there. You've got to have costs that are less than your earnings. Well, let's talk about though, say somebody buys a Starbucks, right? So they've got the, I don't know what their franchises are growing for right now. Let's call it a million dollars. Yeah. Um. So you've got this million dollars, bam, and you're selling coffee for five bucks. Clearly the profit's not going to outsell itself in a cup of coffee. So when, when somebody's looking at a business like that, it makes sense to outsell. The, the issue I have is when somebody has say a, I don't know, a coaching business and they don't realize that their car is an expense, their gas is an expense, their, (laughs) their assistant is an expense, you know, and if they're not paying for all of those things, in that client, then those things don't become profitable. Yeah. You know, when you look at either those models, we'll start Starbucks, is there's really two components. One is there's been an initial investment, which is now debt. So you spend a million dollars to buy this. We have debt. The second thing is the operations itself, the ongoing expenses. So we have to win two battles. The first battle is sustainability will only happen if we're making more every day than we're spending. And it needs to be enough of a gap that we can recover from that debt we incurred. Because <clears throat> stagnant debt is not stagnant. If that million dollar sits there, there's an interest, there's a burden, there's an albatross around our neck. So you have two things you gotta do. You gotta be sustainable in the day and you gotta repay for the past. In the other model where you're a business coach, you're right. There's a lot of hidden costs that people don't expect. They say, well, it's me, I'm the business. It's 100% profit. But that's ne- rarely the case. And if you don't account for it, then you're blind to it. And many businesses will say, I can give this away for, can you imagine if I charge for my coaching only $50 an hour? Everyone would want that. And $50 an hour times 2,000 hours, that's a hundred grand a year. I'm making a hundred grand. And I know coaches that do that. And I ask them, well, let's run the numbers at the end of the year. And they're like, I made 15 grand. I'm not going to be able to sustain. And then they see, oh, I had the car expense. Oh, I didn't realize I needed internet technology to connect. Oh, I had a prayer repair report. I had to travel out to clients. So we really need to get a hard, fast uh, understanding of what our expenses are. And the last thing I want to share, even if you decide not to be concerned with expenses at all, this is outside the scope of what you want to consider, ask yourself, what, how do you see yourself as a value? I mean, are you valuable to a client? Do you see yourself as, as contributing? If so, is it fair that a client pays you practically nothing? Aren't they saying you're value less? Is that what you believe yourself? Your pricing is the biggest marketing piece you have. It's a statement of who you are. And if I and you walk into the same room and say we're coaches, and I say I charge $50 an hour, Michelle, you say I charge $500 an hour, neither of us has to talk any further. The consumer has an instant understanding, oh, Michelle is likely better. So we better set pricing that's consistent with how we see ourselves as a value to our client. Nice, I love that. So let's delve more into that profitability because I think a lot of people will, one, price compare, yeah. They look at Walmart and go, oh, how much are they charging? Okay, I won't charge. <laughs> yeah. Like that is a bad business. Do not ever think you're going to compete with them or with yeah. Walmart or Amazon or any of those for starters. Yeah. But um, talk to me about the psychology of people who look at their competitors and then try and price compare that way. Yeah. So what we're, we're trying to do is a cause and effect thing saying, well, if, if Amazon sells something for $14, I better sell for $13.50. But what we aren't really appreciating is Amazon's not selling on the price alone. They're selling on the convenience and all these other things. 
they have a whole package you're buying. So when I buy from Amazon, it's like, oh, I know it'll be there. It's quick. It's probably the best price. If I really been price shopping, I probably could get it cheaper elsewhere. So we have to realize is that we're looking at one element, but we're not considering the entire scope. So what we can do is flip it. What we could say, you know, if Amazon charges $14, instead of me charging $13, what if I charge $25, that exact same thing? What could I do to uh, introduce a new entire scope of other element? And this is exactly what happened. I had a client, they saw me speaking, they, they asked me to do some, uh, some coaching with them. I didn't charge, I was just meeting with them and they sold iPhones. I'm like, well, we need to charge more. And they say, you can't. Apple tells us what we have to sell it for. No one can have a different price. I said, oh, you absolutely can. And they're like, that's nonsense. I'm like, no, it's called packaging. So what they made, this is a way back, they made uh, thumb drives that had 25 packs to get more battery life out of your iPhone. They had all these different little things they bundled in with it. And they said, buy the iPhone performance bundle, which included an iPhone. And now they could add for these other elements, additional, say, 50 bucks. So they weren't selling for... Four ninety nine at the time, they were selling it now for five forty nine, whatever the math works out to be, by bundling another stuff. So we can do the same thing with Amazon or whoever we see as our competition. Don't compete on price; compete on packaging and define your own packaging. Nice, love that absolutely. So when somebody is doing, say, services, because uh, I, it seems to me, retailers get packaging. You know, we've all seen a gift back at we go basket and we go, oh, okay, that's the concept. When you're doing services, how do you get them to wrap their head around um, packaging? I'll give you the the greatest packaging you can do as a service provider is change the label of your industry. So I work with a lot of accountants and bookkeepers um, and I I talk with them and say, well, when you meet with a new client or a new prospect, what do you tell me to do? They say, well, I'm a bookkeeper or I'm an accountant. So, okay, that's the worst thing to say because the second you use that label, the consumer has a prepackaged definition of what that is. It, it actually is necessary for human communication. If you or I had to explain every single word and what it means, it would take forever. So I say clown, you have a picture of a clown. When you hear accountant, I shouldn't associate those terms, but when you see an accountant, you think of a picture of an accountant. So what I tell our clients is why not be a profit advisor? They say, but I don't know what that means. Exactly, exactly. Now you go to a prospect and say, oh, I'm a profit advisor. The prospect cannot form that image, which gives you the opportunity to form it. And they say, oh, I provide all these different services to manage your financials to ensure the highest level of profitability. So I'm a profit advisor. And then they can use another technique, which is called a push away, where you say, and by the way, I'm an excellent accountant, but all accountants are excellent. You, what you do is you leverage that package that defined an accountant and push away because the consumer believes all accounts are the same. So you simply say, yes, all accounts are the same. So I'm great at that. Just like any accountant should be because all accounts are the same. I'm profit advisor. So just by changing the label, you differentiate yourself from a swath, perhaps all of your competition. Nice. I love that. I had somebody the other day who was talking about business strategies and, and marketing and she said, who would do that? Why wouldn't you just hire a marketing agency? I said, well, you could do that, but you're not going to get the profitability from it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, like, there you yeah, go. Yeah, on track. <laughs> I love it. And you know, one thing to avoid, just for the listener's sake, yeah. is avoid um, kind of like these social media kind of glitzy type of terms. Like, don't be the the queen of social media, the, the king of marketing. Those are all terms that are just posturing and people can see through it. So make sure you have a technical term, a profit advisor, an integrated counselor. 
these are all terms that sound like a very technical term that you may have self-defined and differentiate from the market, but don't sound glitzy or shimmery because that turns people away. Absolutely. So let's talk about how that feeds into the books, because I'm assuming that that positioning is almost paramount to kind of how they're writing the book and why they're writing the book. You mean like the the, the books I write? Well, well, are you working with people to to write the books, to speak to? How did they then take oh, that messaging and take it out to the world? Yeah, yeah. So speaking is the, the primary platform. So yep. just to give context, all the books that I've strategically positioned behind me are books that I've authored. <laughs> um, but one thing I've done due to the popularity of my books is I was able to invite people in to write derivative versions of my book. So Profit First, well, I wrote the original Profit First. There's now, I think, 15 or 16 Profit Firsts in circulation and about 10 more coming out. These are all vertical books. So Profit First for e-commerce, Profit First for dentists, Profit First for chiropractors, all existing titles that are out there. And what I found is as a speaker, there is a limited cap of speaking events you can do. The most I ever did in one year is 50 events. And it only sounds like one a week, but how it played out in practice is some days uh, are three or four in a row and it gets pretty tiring and I'm traveling all over the world. It's a full-time endeavor. So I said, I don't know if this is sustainable for me. So what I did is once I started getting derivative authors, I said, you can use the Prop First title. You can be licensed to use it. You can write your own version of my book for this vertical, and then you can become a speaker on it. And that's what these folks do. So I have the, and the best thing is this, we're all speaking about the core essence of the same concept, Profit First. Everyone's out there talking about it. Um, so literally today, I think three Profit First keynotes happened. I didn't do any of them. And uh, it's a real powerful way to build the brand Maybe it's not a franchise, but similar to the concept of like a McDonald's franchise is every store that McDonald's has is earning income, but every store is also propagating the brand. So when you pass by the next store, you might buy there too. Nice. I love it. So give us some of the principles in the book, obviously profit first, but <laughs> yeah. break it down for us and, and how that works. Yeah. So profit first is the pay yourself first principle. I took an existing principle we've been told since the beginning of time, it seems like that if you want to have riches, you have to save incrementally from your own savings, uh, from your own income, save it. I translate that into business and say, every time income comes into your business, take a predetermined percentage of that money as profit, remove it from your business. It could be speaking, it could be anything, but take that percentage as profit first, and then you'll see what's truly available to sustain your business. I also used the envelope system that's been around forever, translate it to business. Now we do this typically at the bank level. So you go to your existing bank or you go to a new bank. We have one that I love. Um, and you set up your accounts at the bank. Now what happens is what I found is most entrepreneurs, when it comes to managing their finances, they don't read the cash flow statement. I don't. We don't read the income statement. I surely don't. Uh, we don't read any of those statements. But what we do is we revert to logging to our bank account. And if we have money, we spend it. If we don't, we don't. We actually panic. So I said, oh, if that's where we naturally go, we need to intercept that behavior. So profit first, we set multiple accounts at your bank. We pre-allocate money to its intended use. So you know what's available for profit. You know what's available to pay taxes. You know what's available to operate your business. You know what's available to pay you yourself. So these are accounts that we set up there. And that's the foundational principle of the profit first. Nice, because I know a lot of people, when they hear pay yourself first, they really think that's like writing yourself a check as an employee and, and it's like, well, that's neat and a good start. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and it's actually maybe a little part of it. It really is about savings for your business. I think people conflate profitability and compensation. You need to be compensated for the work you do in your business. 
for many small businesses, you are the core employee. Maybe you're the only employee. So you need to be paid. And the, the question I ask people is, if you had to replace yourself, what would you pay that person? Usually it's an absorbent salary because we do do a lot. Like, okay, that's the salary you need to make. We have to find a way to get there. In addition to that, but separate from it, is profit. Profit is a reward to a shareholder. A shareholder is someone who owns a business but doesn't actually work in the business. I own stock at Ford. I don't own, I mean, I do technically own stock at Ford, but I don't have a job there. And when they send out their distribution checks to me, I don't run down to the factory and say, you know, what do I need to do to earn this? I've taken a risk of investing. Every small business owner, every entrepreneur has taken the risk of investing in their own business. So profit is a reward for doing that. Owner's compensation is a normalized salary that you deserve. Profit effectively is the pay yourself first principle. We're, we're, we're reserving for the future of the business and we are gonna distribute that to you as long as the business remains healthy. And then the owner's compensation is what you live your lifestyle off of. Thanks, I love that. So who would you say you work with now? Who is either your ideal client or your favorite kind, type of client to work with? I know nobody has favorite children, but- No, I don't have parents, <laughs> yeah. Um, my ideal clients are 500,000 in revenue or less. These are what's called micro enterprise. People with three, maybe four employees max. That's the community I work with. Entrepreneurs that are struggling to break through that ceiling where they're doing the work and are not- designing the outcomes they want. They're just engaged in the business constantly. And uh, I help those businesses break through those, those stages. And I do it in a very systematic way. You know, we need sales, for no, there's no question about it, but we don't need more sales. And that, that's a mistake many business owners make. They say, if I can just sell more, I'll be sustainable. No, you actually may be bringing more stress to your organization. We need to bring about that balance of profitability, which is the runway for a business. So we help with sales and then profitability, efficiency in the business, and ultimately, when you get these elements going together, then the business can hit its next level of growth. Nice. I love that. So what would you say is your favorite part of your business? My favorite part actually is the speaking. Um, mm -hmm. So I do it selectively now, uh, and I'm very blessed to, to uh, dictate some, some large audiences. Um, my favorite part is after the presentation. It's rarely before, but sometimes, but sometimes, but usually after, when people come up and they're not talking about the speech, I'm not talking about my books, they're talking about them. And I just hear these stories and it feels like, you know, from the trenches to me. And I just, my God, I get so immersed in it. Hearing of a, a struggling hot dog stand that now the guy or gal owns 15 hot dog stands. Uh, a doctor, this is actually a real thing that happened. A doctor approached me and said, I found a better way for trauma management. And uh, she's like, I, I'm on a mission now to share this, not through my work as a doctor, but as a, uh, as a teacher, an author. Um, so I just love hearing these stories of transformation. And my, my favorite component is when people are really living their joy and very successful at it, because that brings about sustainability and impact. Nice. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. All right. So her name is Cindy Thomason. She's one of my favorite stories because it's so dramatic. Um, but it also has some common elements. She called me. She was a bookkeeper. 40,000, 45,000 in revenue and uh, was stuck there in revenue, mind you, not uh, personal income and was stuck there. And she was looking at all of these different systems and programs and technology to get the business growing. And uh, we had a conversation and it sounded like it was way premature for that stuff. We started with who's the ideal client and started targeting them. Uh, we ensured that every transaction was profitable. Uh, just a few years later, she calls me and says, I'm getting so many leads. She gets, she was getting, at one time, she authored a book and 
She was getting, I think, 15 leads a day. And she's like, now my problem isn't in, in growing this business on the sales side. It's vetting out customers. I, I can't keep up with all the demand. So we set a vetting program where customers or prospects knew in advance uh, what they could expect with engagement with her before even having a conversation. And the clients that were not suited for that were turned on to other opportunities or other vendors that could serve them. Fast forward uh, later, she uh, was taking annual fork vacations, something I'm a massive proponent for, four consecutive weeks away from the business so the business can build its own independence, independent from the owner. Her and her husband were doing this. And then just a few years later, um, I think cumulatively this was five or six years, they were well into the millions uh, and, and other great things that happened that I can't disclose, uh, but their business has achieved and is achieving all the dreams they ever had. Nice. I love that. So you have uh, quite eloquently nailed a couple of the stumbling blocks, but somebody listening to this right now, what might they be going through that they're thinking, oh my God, Mike, I need you so badly. <laughs> well, the nice thing about if you, if you need me, the resource is you can read everything I know. Not, I yeah, book. we'll get there. We'll get there. What are the, some yeah. of the stumbling blocks first? So the, the stumbling blocks are most often is we think sales is the priority when profit's the priority. So that's what I would focus on first is, how do I make every transaction profitable? Sales translates to stress. Now, all, not all stress is bad stress, but the more you sell, the more obligation you have. So that's it. The second stumbling block is uh, either poor delegation or horrible abdication. This is where the owner just says, just do it. Uh, and there's no direction, there's no guardrails and the business goes all over the place or they micromanage and that's probably just as bad. So how do we manage? I'll give you the number one tip on how to do this is you can ask yourself some question. Do I have a personal assistant? And if you answer no, that means you are the personal assistant. So we need to bring in that role. And it's a great way, not just to get some work off your plate, but for you to learn how to start delegating. When we start a business, we have to do the work. When we find a personal assistant, we have to learn how to teach him or her how to do this work. Um, then we move on to systems and management and other levels. But if we can get past the profit and the delegation components, usually that gets us past our first million. Love that. So now you get to. I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey? Yeah, great. And I wasn't trying to be pitchy of the book. Just, <laughs> it's all uh, good. I'm just I found that the greatest resource on this planet are, are great books. And if you find a book for, you know, for you can buy a brand new one for 25 bucks. You can buy a used copy for a penny. Like, like it's, it's basically free. Every ounce of knowledge that an author has is in there. And I hope that's what I deliver. Uh, you can check them out, any bookstore, anywhere. Uh, just pick your favorite. Amazon, of course, has it too. Um, and if you want to go to my website, it's Mike Motorbike. Here's a little tip. No one can spell Michalowicz. So make it easy. <laughs> make it easy for your readers. So Mike Motorbike, as in the motorcycle.com. Uh, all my books are there. And you can get my chapters, many of the chapters, for free. So no cost whatsoever. Plus, uh, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get those articles. And uh, I have a podcast up at MikeMotorbike.com. Love it. What do you discuss at Mike Motorbike uh, the podcast? Uh, just entrepreneurial stories. Uh, I interview entrepreneurs that have been there, done that. I bring in some experts It's called Entrepreneurship Elevated, and it's just a whole different perspective on entrepreneurship. Love it. Peeps, we will have all of Mike's links in the show notes, of course. So just scroll down, go and find the links, click on them. Fine. Be sure to just continue listening because we still got more. So Mike, I get to ask you at this point, uh, at what point in life did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I still don't know if I really believe it, but uh, 
I knew it was crazy enough. When, I'm crazy. I don't know. It's yeah. crazy. When I, I'm crazy. When I graduated college and uh, and I decided to start my first business, I went to my parents. Uh, I went to my wife. I got married very young. I said I'm going to start a business, and everyone's like, um, "That's crazy." I'm like, "But no, you get rich like overnight." So that's what we're doing, and you don't get rich overnight. But I did fall in love with it, and it's been the greatest journey of my life. There's no question. I love entrepreneurship. Nice. Love it. You have been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Yeah, yes. Yes. One last word. I want everyone listening, every peep listening to know this. Your clients actually want you to be profitable. Wildly so. And But but the thing is, they never say it. Like you'll never have a customer come to you and say, oh, could you charge me more? Could you rip me off a little? <laughs> but what customers do say is, when you serve me, if you're in the service industry, I want your full undivided attention. If you make products, I want your best product, something that is delivers on every promise it makes. I want the best of you is the message you'll always hear from your clients. And the only way to provide the best of you is by being profitable. I, I use an analogy. Imagine you have a heart attack, you get rushed to the hospital, and the doctor looks at you and says, um, she says, I'm so busy right now. I'm desperate to make money. Uh, we're going to have to race through this. I need more customers. Do you want her operating on you? No. That's a life-saving situation. And realize you may not be life-saving for your clients, but you're definitely life-altering. And if you are, your clients want the best of you. If they knew the real story that you're desperate and you're panicked and you're focused elsewhere, they'd probably never do business with you. So charge accordingly. Charge in a sustainable way because that is what they want from you. They want you to be profitable. I love it. And make sure that you're connecting with Mike because he's going to show you not only how to become profitable, but how to do it in the right way so that your business becomes sustainable, which is also step two, three, four, and 10. <laughs> awesome. Mike, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know how valuable it is. Thank you, Michelle. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here. Be sure to subscribe to the show, share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.